right. Well, good morning, Doxa. Guys, it's, it's good to see you today. Guys, I was thinking, like, even as we're just singing, I don't know about you, and I just, dude, I love being together with you guys. Like, this is just, amen. Somebody, one person is excited about that. But guys, I, I seriously, as I get to stand up here and just see everybody gather together and even listening to the announcements that a lot of us just kind of zone out during, but there's actually some really cool things that God's doing amongst us, right? And in and through us, or I'm just proud, honestly, to, to be part of this church. Like I'm proud to be locked arms with all you guys kind of leading this way, right? For, for loving Jesus and just loving the people of, of our great city. So guys, I just want to say thank you for, for just being like an awesome church family. It's, it's so fun. If you're new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have have you here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible. Go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. All right. We're, we're continuing our, our series through this historical book today by, by looking at chapter six. And we say this all the time. If you don't have a Bible, you know, every family kind of has its thing, right? And, you know, one of our things is, is we, we gather, every time we gather, we gather around the Bible and we seek to hear from God. And then by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, learn and go out and actually do the things that God tells us to do and, and live like Jesus for the sake of the world around us. And so this is what we do. So if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There's one on the welcome table that you can grab on the way out as a gift from us to you. Now, as you get to Acts chapter six, let me say this by, by way of introduction, okay? When, when I was a, a kid and, and people started like teaching me things, I, I learned a lot of things using my hands. Did that, did that happen for you guys? A couple people? Okay. So, you know, for example, you know, when um, I was learning kind of the months of the year and, and which months had like 30 days and which had like 31, right? I was taught this thing with like your knuckles, right? I don't know if you guys know that. Like you're supposed to like count your knuckles and then somehow know. And I, yeah, right there, you know, we had our elder in training meeting on Monday and I was like, how many like days are in May? And like Stephen Stump is over in the corner, like counting his knuckles. And I was I, don't, I still don't know what that means or how to do that. Like, it doesn't make any sense, but there's that, you know. But along with that, you know, I grew up in Ohio, knew a lot of people from, from Michigan. And, you know, when I was talking with them and they would, I would be like, where are you guys from? And they would do this thing with their hand and they would just hold up their hand and be like, I'm from here. And I'm like, all right, that's interesting. I don't know what to do. Like, that doesn't help. <laughs> but then I moved to Wisconsin and we do that too, right? And we, I'm here, right? I, I, I'm still learning with my hands, right? But even more, you know, the interesting thing is I didn't grow up in the church and around many Christians, but when Christians that I knew would, would try and teach me things about the church, they use their hands too. Kind of weird, right? But maybe you've, you've seen this one, right? Like here's the church, here's the steeple, open up the door, see all the people, right? You guys remember that? Like, I don't know what that is supposed to teach me other than to, to rhyme, but, um, but here's the thing, you know, with this whole thing, this, this cute church thing, like there's one thing that they, they left out, you know? You know, the thing that they didn't tell me about, like all these people, is that all these people inside have issues. They're, they're broken. All these people inside, they're, they're imperfect people. And all these people inside, like, fail at so many things, at so many different times throughout their lives. In fact, let me, let me do this. Like, raise your hand if you've ever failed. All right, I got both hands up, okay? Now, some of you, you didn't raise your hand, so you you failed by not recognizing your failure, okay? So we're all on the same page. But the point is, guys, like, we all fail, right? Every single one of us. And if you're not sure, like, if you fail or, like, how you failed, if you came with, like, your spouse or your kid or your friend, just look over and they'll be like, yeah, and then you can pay attention again, okay? We, we all, guys, fail from time to time. And, and this isn't the stuff that we, like, post to social media. This isn't the stuff that we, like, lead off with, like, on a first date or, like, a job interview or anything like that. But we all fail. And now, guys, here's why I start here. All right, as we're 
as we're studying the, the book of Acts, up until this point, for the first five chapters, we've, we've seen this early church that Jesus established through his death and his resurrection, and it's growing, it's thriving, it's winning, it's just, it's just succeeding in so many ways. I mean, there's been so many wins. There's, there's great sermons, there's people getting healed, there's people getting saved, there's people being cared for. There, there's people, like, it's, it's just thriving, it's, it's moving forward, and even in the midst of like external persecution, the church just continues to grow and it continues to thrive and to move forward. It's been like this awesome journey to watch because what we're gonna see here in the first seven verses of Acts chapter six is that the church doesn't just experience like external persecution that can stifle the movement of it and the movement of the gospel, but it, will, it also like will experience internal struggle, right? Internal struggle that will do the same thing to stifle the movement of the church, to stifle the movement of the gospel. And this internal struggle in Acts chapter six is really just around this idea of failure. Okay, so like every church fails at something at some point. And I know if you're, if you're new, this isn't like a great sales pitch for me to like get you to come back. Like you're like, oh, that was easy. I'm not coming back, right? But it's just, it's just true. Guys, and, and I say that because maybe there's, there's some of you here that you've come to Doxa and maybe you've had different church experiences and, and you like the last church that you were in, maybe you kind of like looked around and were like, man, that church just like failed and dropped the ball in so many different ways, right? You think about like the band and the, the pastor and the kids ministry, all these things. And you're like, man, they just dropped the ball and they, and they failed. And you think, man, I'm just so glad that I found Doxa and that I'm here. And guys, the truth is I'm glad that you're here too, but here's the deal. In some ways, we are like that church, right? Their, their pastor might have smiled more and gave better hugs, right? But we're kind of like that, meaning that we fail, that all churches will fail in different ways, but we're all gonna fail. And it's important to know that when we talk about like failure, guys, not all failure is like linked to sin, all right, there's, there's certain failures that are related to sin. There's, there's moral failures that, that we need to deal with that causes major disruption in the church that needs to be dealt with that can even be disqualifying for, for leaders. But there's also failure that are just mistakes. All right, that there wasn't really sin involved, but, but failure happens, balls are dropped, mistakes are made, even from like a good intention, from a godly perspective and posture. But things happen and mistakes are made. Guys, this is what we're gonna see today. All right, that in the first seven verses of Acts 6, we're going to see how the early church that we've been watching and studying fails. And we're going to watch them in the midst of their failure, how they respond to this failure. And I really think that this is like really important for our church to, to learn and to consider as we continue forward with this new church that we call Doxa. All right, and here's how we're going to approach understanding this passage. We can really break these first seven verses down into three parts, okay? So first, we're, we're going to look at the problem that this church faced. Then we're going to see the solution that they enacted. And then finally, the result of their actions. And there's going to be something for every single one of us here. So first, let's get into this. The first thing is, is the problem and the failure that this church experienced. So Acts chapter 6, verse 1. This is what we see. Now, in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, I want you to underline that in your Bible, increasing in number, a complaint, circle that, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. Underline that as well. They're being neglected in the daily distribution. So let me, let me ask you a question, okay? True or false? This is a good church here in Acts chapter six. True. 
right? That as we've been watching this, this early church, it's a really good church. The, the gospel is being preached. People are caring. They're loving. They're sharing. People are meeting Jesus. It's just this really, really good church. But I want you to see this, guys. Even though that's true, we st- still see that there's, there's failure in their midst. And as I mentioned, guys, it's important to understand that their failure was not one. I don't believe that was a result of sin, but it's a, it's a result of growth and organization and administration. Uh, and, and I think we can know this because the apostles, as they see this problem, this failure, they don't go after any type of sin, but they just try and fix the problem. And so the sin that was, if there was sin there, we know from looking at like Acts chapter five with Ananias and Sapphira, they would have called that out. That's what they did with them in Acts chapter five. God dealt with it and they moved on. But here they don't do that. But here's what's happening, okay? The church, guys, is, is ministering not just to the, the spiritual needs of the soul, but to the physical needs of the body. All right, they're, they're helping people. And this is part of the rhythm. I mean, this is what we do as a church. We, we do some of the this, this same stuff. Like we, we partner with food banks here in, in Madison to, to give money and food and resources to these places to help feed people in our city that don't have the means to buy food, right? We have a benevolence fund that we give to in our church and we give out of to help people in our family that are, are struggling right now and don't have the means to have the physical things that they, that they need. This is what the church does. All right, so this church, they're, they're ministering to people, they're meeting physical needs, but we see here they, they start to drop balls, right? They, they started to fail at it. And here, if you look back, it, it talks about the widows. And this is important because in Jewish culture, by law, guys, they would, they would care for widows and, and orphans among them. And so what the church is doing is the church is just like continuing what the Old Testament prophets would preach because they would, they would tell that this is like a command of God. Like you care for these types of people, you give to these types of people. And here you have two groups of widows. You have the, the Hellenists and you have the Hebrew widows. And there's really only one primary difference between these two groups of people. And, it, and it's this, okay? While the Hebrew widows stayed in Jerusalem near the temple for their entire lives, the Hellenists, they moved away from Jerusalem. They, they basically lived abroad and while they were still Jews, they lived in different places and they adopted some of the Greek language, right? And some of their, their culture. But what would often happen in this time is that many of the Hellenists would come back to Jerusalem near the end of their lives because it was their holy city and they wanted to kind of spend their last days in this city and, and die there and ultimately be buried there. And as they would move back, they started growing and making up this, this basically large minority group in the city of Jerusalem. And in this day, you know, concerning, concerning widows, like it was a little bit different than today because women in, in these times, they typically wouldn't have careers, right? They, they wouldn't have like a lot of money. They wouldn't have retirement plans and all this stuff. Like a, a woman in this time would oftentimes be married very young. Her husband would, would be the head of the household he had in this patriarchal society. He had legal rights that she didn't have. Everything they owned was in his name. And while he was living, he would care for her and provide for her. But after he died, when he would die, this would leave this, these women in a very vulnerable, vulnerable position because they really wouldn't have anything, All right? And so when the husband would die, oftentimes the family would step in and care for these women. But if they didn't have any family around, this is when the church would step in and do the same thing. So the church is stepping in and doing this godly good thing and caring for these like forgotten women, these women who had needs. But hear this, in the midst of this, guys, there's something else, else like happening, all right? There's massive gro- growth in this church in Jerusalem. 
All right, that what started, if you remember back to, to Acts chapter one, the beginning of this study that we are, we're in right now, this whole thing started with 120 people following Jesus, right? Jesus was killed, he resurrected, ascended back into heaven. There's 120 people, they're praying, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit falls, and there's just rapid growth. And if you look back to Acts chapter four, verse four, which is the last numeric figure that we see, there's 5,000 men part of this church. And so if you add women and you add youth, and then you add like Acts chapter five, verse 14 says that there's a bunch of growth happening, there could have been upwards to 15, 20,000 plus people involved in this church in Jerusalem at this point. So what started as just like a really small group where the apostles could do everything, know everyone, and, and really just care for all the needs has grown into this organizational and administrative problem where there's just so many people and so many things that needed done that these widows, they were beginning to be overlooked. Now again, it doesn't say that there was sin, it was just literally like due to poor administration because there were so many people. But nonetheless, there's an issue, people are being forgotten. Now, another question, true or false? A growing church is a good thing. True, right, this is, this is true. Jesus loves when churches grow, guys. Healthy things grow. And we should love when, when churches grow because that means that people are meeting Jesus and people are coming into the family of God. And this is what it's all about, right? Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. But here's the truth, guys. As the church grows and people come into it, there comes a growing complexity with this. And with this, guys, balls can be dropped. Mistakes can be made because there's just so many things happening. There's so many things that need attention. There's so many people that need care for. And this is what's happening here, okay? Now, let me say this, guys. While Jesus loves when churches grow, some people in growing churches won't. Just hear that. You know, for example, as, as growth happens in a church, people can begin to feel like they're just a number, right? People can feel like, man, I'm, I'm not known, People can start to feel like I'm just lost in a sea of people. And, and many people like these people, they could begin to get upset and they can complain and as they can perceive that, that they're, they're not, things aren't going the way that they should be. And guys, this is where I think it gets really practical for us. All right, because I, I really believe that it's only a matter of time before we could experience something like this. All right, I mean, consider this, like our church has existed for a year we're growing, we're experiencing like new people coming, new families coming every week, which is awesome. Jesus is growing his church, but every family, more people just means more complexity to our organization, right? We're, we're in this process of, of getting a building, this awesome gift. It's never been the goal, but God just kind of dropped this building on our lap and it's awesome. And we really believe that it's gonna be great for our family. It's gonna be great for this community as we can use it for a community center and do a ton of different things with it, but it adds complexity. And with all of this, guys, there, there might come a time where, where some people in our church could, could begin to think like, man, I, I used to hang out with that leader all the time, but now I, I don't see him anymore because he's so busy with other things. And maybe you could be tempted to think like, all right, he's not hanging out with me because he must not care about me anymore. And while it's likely not true, this can actually be like a perceived reality. Because with growth, like this, this can happen. It just gets, it gets chaotic and, and busy. Balls can get dropped. 
communication can get tricky with so many different things happening. There can even be confusion as to what's going on as things are changing and growing. I liken it to this. When I was in Ohio, when Lisa and I first got married, we were living in an apartment, and right across the street, there was a, a family that we knew that they couldn't get pregnant, okay? And um, so they went through the adoption process, and they ended up, like, adopting three kids. And as they got, were getting the three kids, they found out they were pregnant with twins, Okay, so like in the midst of like a couple months, they went from no kids to like seven people in their family in an apartment, right? And it was just like, it was a little bit chaotic. It was beautiful because the family was growing, but there were so many things going on that so many things were changing as the family grew. But here's what I want you to know, guys. While that could be like an uneasy time, it's a gloriously good time, right? Because more people in the church means that more people are meeting Jesus, and while it can feel different and, and problems can arise and, and balls can get dropped and failures can happen, I want you to listen to this. This is key. We all have two options. We can either complain about the situation or we can work for a solution together. And I love what this church does here. Because if you look at this, this early church rallies together as the family of God. They're loving Jesus, they're loving one another, and they just address this problem that it starts off with a failure, it starts off with a mistake, and then it moves to complaints. But instead of letting this, this problem bring dissension and disunity, because it quickly moves to a solution as they figure out, as they rally together as the family for the love of God and with loving each other, they find the solution. Here's what they do. Look back. Here's the solution to their problem. So that's the issue. The solution we see in verses two through six. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, underline this next part, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves, circle prayer, and to the ministry of the word, circle ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so here's what they do is they come face to face with, with their failure and their mistake, okay? The church gets together and they basically have like a family meeting. Do you guys with families, do you guys have family meetings? Right, we, we do this in my family. Like something happens, we have to address something and I'm like, okay guys, Lisa, Titus, Lily, come on, Titus, I know you want a cheese stick. We got a family meeting, right? And we, we talk, we, right? we just get together and we say, here's what's going on. Here's how we need to fix this. Here's what we're gonna do. This is the family meeting. This is what they're, they're doing here. They, and they basically have like a, a two-fold solution to their failure and their problem that involved everyone in the church, both the leaders and the members. And guys, here's what I believe. And I think this is the, the main issue. As we move forward as Doxa Church, if we are like this early church who are committed to these two things, guys, Doxa is going to be a great church just like this church in Acts chapter 6. And so guys, this is like extremely practical stuff, really important for every single one of us if we want to be the church that God wants us to be. And the first thing they do, look at this, the first thing they do, if you're a note taker, write down this, is they delegate authority. All right, if you look back to verses three and six, they choose some guys, right? They lay their hands on them, which is like a, a symbol of, of giving authority, and they empower these people to lead the charge of the church. And specifically here, it's to distribute food to these widows. And, and guys, in this, we, we learn this truth, guys, that 
The church needs leaders to keep the gospel moving forward. This is so important. And, and if you look back, they're in this family meeting. Guys, they, they must have, someone must have suggested to the apostles that the best way to fix this problem was for the apostles to step in and start to distribute the food themselves so they make sure it's, it's done well. And so they're basically saying, okay, so in addition to them preaching and praying and leading, they needed to do more. But you see, if you look back, the apostles, they, they hear this and they say, whoa, hold on. This isn't what Jesus called us to do. Now pause. Is this, like, are they just being like super arrogant? Like, I mean, have they gotten a complex where they're like, we're better than setting up chairs and waiting tables? Because the answer is, is no. They're, they're not above this duty, right? They're, they're not above serving. We, we see that they serve in all types of ways. The Apostle Paul, he's preaching, but he's, he's serving, he's doing things. But they recognize, hear this, that they recognize that one of the primary ways that the church moves forward is to keep certain leaders freed up to preach the word of God. And as the apostles here, which are the pastors of this early church, they recognized that they needed to keep doing this because they knew that if they involved themselves in all the details of, of serving meals and all the other things that would come up, that it would take them away from their calling. Because the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.12 that he says the duty of a pastor is to equip the church for good works, right? To build up the body of Christ. And, and I think it's really helpful for us to understand, like, you know, when Someone's like, oh, you're going into the ministry. And oftentimes that usually means like, okay, someone's gonna be a pastor or someone's gonna be a missionary. I think that that language is actually not very helpful because the reality is that God calls all people into ministry. But it's just different types of ministry. And those different types of ministry are, are based upon gifting and calling. And so the only difference in the ministries that we all have, guys, is gifting and calling, but we all are needed to move the church in the gospel forward. And so the apostles, they, they know this and they say, we can't do all of this on our own. All right. Because if we start distributing food, we're not going to have time and we're not going to do a good job preaching the Bible. So they find faithful men that are gifted to help do this work in the church. Because I want you to understand that the church, it's a family. It's, it's this is a family affair that everyone has a role in order for it to thrive. So these leaders, guys, when it comes to these, they're looking for three things. Look back. Three things that I, I think like that we're still looking for today. And this is where it gets really practical for every single one of us. That if I hope that you are aspiring to see the gospel move through your neighborhood, to move through this city. If you're aspiring to like see ministry happen and, and move forward, if you're aspiring to, to serve in some way and to, to lead in some way, guys, here's three things for you to know. All right, this is like really important. Number one, look back to verse three a good reputation is required, all right? That these, these new leaders, they're known by people. You can look at the first Timothy chapter three and a good reputation, like they have to be known. Like people need to know how do they live their lives? How do they treat their wives? How do they treat their kids? Are they, are they godly? Who are they behind closed doors? It's not like these new leaders just show up and find Peter and say, hey, I'm a leader, I'm going. And it's like, no, we need to, we need to make sure you are who you think you are. They have a good reputation because a leader without a good reputation is just gonna make the gospel look really bad. So they know these people. The second thing, look, that they have the spirit and are full of faith, all right? And this is really just to say that they love Jesus, right? That these leaders are, are Christians. And the church needs leaders 
that love Jesus that are growing in their faith. And so for you guys, like, let me just tell it, for uh, me, like, this doesn't mean that they're perfect, right? That's not what leadership is, is all about because there's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus, right? This is why we preach about him. This is why we sing to him and pray to him, right? The rest of us, we have issues. This isn't about perfection, but this is about progression. It's about the trajectory of their life is that they're gradually becoming more and more like Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans 8, 29, that they're being conformed into the likeness of Christ by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love what this is pointing to, guys. Because you know what this means? Guys, this means that if someone has the Holy Spirit, you should never count them out. You should never think, man, they're just a hot mess, right? They're never gonna change. They're never gonna get better. There's no way they could ever lead. Because I want you to hear this. If the Holy Spirit is in them, there's hope for them. This is a truth that we all need to know. Because the Holy Spirit changes people. Theologically, we call this sanctification, that the spirit in our lives, he changes our lives. And he takes messed up men like me and makes us more and more like Jesus. How many stories in here are you? That's you. Nobody? Oh my gosh, this is terrible. <laughs> right? This is what happens. We all have that story. We're becoming more and more like Jesus through faith in the presence and the power of the spirit. And guys, this is one of the reasons I love my view from up here. Because I, I look at you guys every single week and it's just like, there is so much potential in this room for gospel movement. Because the power and the presence of the Spirit, because our faith is not in people, but it's in the Holy Spirit in people. And he can do incredible things in your life. So these new leaders, they have a good reputation, they're growing in godliness. And then number three, this is a big one, they have wisdom. If you look back. And what this means is that they can really just do things right? They can get things done, right? Some of you, many of you, you guys don't have like a lot of pastoral ministry experience, but what you do have is you have business experience, right? That in your careers, you, you know accounting, you know how to manage people, you know how to work a soundboard, you know how to do a budget, you know how to do all these different things. You have a lot of practical skills because you have experience in your career. And what that means, guys, is that you can use all of this wisdom and all of these skills that you have, not just to make a living and to make money, but to push forward the gospel through the church. That God can use you in that way. It means that you can use the things that you're good at, the things that you've learned from your career in the church, because some things that you've learned, guys, is going to help the church and help the church move forward. This is what we're talking about. And this is not to say, guys, that the church is like a business, right? I mean, some of you have, like, this, this is not a business, but here's the deal. If a church has like employees, if a church has like real estate, there are certain laws and like regulations around that. And so the church needs people that know how to operate with wisdom in these ways. And some of you have that. And as we grow, we really benefit from people like you. Because, I mean, practical example, this, this building thing that we're in. I'm, like, way over my head with what we're doing with this, okay? Like, I can, I can be a pastor. I can teach the Bible, all right, right? And I can lift heavy things, okay? <laughs> I, I can do more than that, okay? Not a lot more, but I can, okay? But, but here's the deal. Because our church is, is being led by a plurality of leaders, you know, our, our elder board right now is like, so we just got planted like a, a year ago from a church in Iowa. And so right now, Ronnie and I are the elders here on the ground. 
and we have three elders from back in Iowa that are helping us right now. And so these men, like we have a real estate guy that is a godly man. We have a guy that's been in the finance world that's a really godly man. And we have another pastor that's been in ministry for 30 plus years. And guys, as we're making these decisions, right? I mean, we're, we're prayerful about it, but also God has given us a lot of gifted people to help make this happen. Like, I don't know how to like, navigate all the laws and all of these different things, but these men do. Right? And even like this construction project, there's, there's men and women in our church that literally are like running with this. They know how to build things. They, we have architects and designers that are doing this and they're doing it not by getting paid for it. They're saying, I've built millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars of things. Let me use my skill to do this in the church. This is what we're talking about. This is what is happening here in Acts 6. They're looking for godly people with wisdom experience and gifts to help lead the church to get the things done that need to get done so that people can meet Jesus. Because we're looking for these same types of people. Because hear this, guys. You really need to understand this. This whole thing, this doxa journey, this doesn't revolve around me or a few key leaders. It just doesn't. I think there's a plurality of leadership in the church on all levels. I mean, if you look right here, there's a problem with feeding these widows. And so what do they do? They get a group of seven people and say, hey, address that problem and go lead this together. They're leading in plurality. There's, there's safety there. They're getting it done as a team. Because this is what we do. It's not about just one really gifted, great person leading the way. Even in the church level, from like the pastoral level and the pastors of the church, like it's not just me, that there's a plurality of elders. And we, we're working hard right now to like, established local elders, all right? We're gonna say bye to the Iowa people and say thank you for serving, but we have godly men in this church that are stepping up to help lead the way. And as members, we're gonna vote on these men and that'll be in the future, but this is what we're doing. And so all that to say, guys, as the church grows, this is what needs to happen so that we can have the gospel move forward. We need people in the church leading. And here's the second thing they do. So they delegate authority and as they have people in the church that start doing things, it frees up the apostles, it frees up these pastors to do the second thing, which is they keep preaching and praying. Look back to verses four and five. The apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, circle prayer, and to the ministry of the word. I want you to circle that as well. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And guys, here's, here's the thing that we need to know. Like preaching and prayer are absolute necessities to keep the church that Jesus died and raised for on the path that God intends. And this early church, they, they understood this. Right? And, and I mean, if you think about it, this is how Christianity got started. Jesus came and, and he came preaching and serving. If you look back to Acts chapter two, Peter is standing up and he's preaching Jesus. And as he preaches Jesus, guys, this is the most... In, important and significant thing to move the gospel forward. And this preaching that he does, guys, it's, it's not just about like self-edification, but it's, it's all about Jesus. That we see these sermons throughout Acts that we're gonna continue to see these sermons that the apostles give and it's all about Jesus. That he's God become a man. He came and he lived a life that we couldn't live and he died a death that we should have died. He lived a perfect life. He dies on the cross in our place for our sin that the most significant issue in all of our lives is not monetary or relational, but it's sin. Sin in our lives that will separate us from God and separate us from people. But Jesus on the cross, he dies for that sin. And through faith, he gives us his righteousness. 
and brings us to God. And as he raises back to life, he conquers Satan, sin, death, and hell, and he gives us eternal life, eternal joy, and the guarantee of heaven. Because this is what preaching should be all about. It should be all about Jesus. It always comes down to Jesus, right? I mean, if there's anything that we're about, it's, it's, it's this. And Luke is emphasizing this, that the church is built and sustained by God's word and God's spirit. And in order for this to keep moving forward, you need to know that every church, like everything can't be done by one or two people. But it's a family affair that we're all in the game, that we're all on the mission together. And when God's people get involved with ministry, the good news of the gospel is going to people and the good work of caring and providing for people's physical needs continues to happen. And so they know that preaching has to happen, but if you look back, in addition to this, they also kept prayer as like an essential component, right? We, we see this, that this early church in Acts, like before all this explosion and growth happened, what were they doing? They were in an upper room together, 120 of them, and they were just praying. And I've heard this said, I'm just gonna read this. Someone once said that the wind of the Holy Spirit blows according to his will, our job is to set the sails of our lives in a direction that can catch the wind. This is what happens when we pray. And so when we pray, guys, what we're in effect doing is we're raising the proverbial sail of our lives for the Holy Spirit to then blow and move us forward. It's through prayer. And so we, we have a job. Our job is to be faithful and prayerful and to seek Jesus. God's job is to grow the church and to save people. And guys, here's where I love this. I love that we're a church that's learning to pray. Like God broke in in Acts chapter one and impressed on us like that we need to be a church that prays. And I love that our church is like listening to God and like responding to the movement of the spirit. Like we're starting to pray. Like I just, I get invited to all these like prayer meetings. Like people are just opening up their house every single night of the week and just having these different times. And we're just getting together and we're, we're praying for the people of our city, we're, we're praying for our schools, we're, we're praying for the leaders of our country, like we're just praying, I love that. Guys, we need to keep doing this. This is how the early church approached this issue. They kept going, they kept preaching, they kept praying, they, they delegated authority, raised up leaders. And this is what happened, here's the result of what they did. Look at verse seven. As a result of them fixing and addressing this problem, verse seven, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly, circled out, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. Because as they did this, as they delegated authority, as they kept preaching Jesus, as they kept praying, the church just kept moving forward. People kept meeting Jesus. And then it says the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Greatly means that there are so many that they lost track of counting numbers, right? That there was that much growth and I'll say this, guys, the whole reason that we're here is to lift up the name of Jesus, because this is the whole reason we're here. And I want you to know, guys, as the church grows, there are going to be things that break. There's going to be things that need fixed. And we all have two ways that we can respond. We can complain, or we can be the people that fix it. And so here's how I want to wrap up, okay? My mom is, is here this weekend, and uh, one of the, did someone just whistle? If that was a guy whistling at my mom, we're going to have problems, okay? <laughs> but one of the most godly women I, I know, okay, and 
a woman of prayer. I mean, she, she's prayed for me. She prayed for me for the first 20 some years of my life that I would stop being an idiot and come to Jesus, right? And eventually God grabbed me and now she's praying that I wouldn't be an idiot now as a pastor, right? So you can thank her on your way out. But I was talking to her just the other night about this and, and I told her that I was like, kind of like wrestling and struggling with this message because it, it felt to me like a little bit more um, administrative in business than like a, a heart-wrenching, like gut-wrenching gospel message. And here's what she said to me. She kind of like interrupted me and she just was like, Rob, like people need to understand this. Like, because this is how God planned his church to function so that everyone around us can meet Jesus. And as I, I sat there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I still need my mommy, right? <laughs> I need to go sit on her lap and just like pet my head and just keep preaching at me, mom, right? And like, I was like, oh my gosh, like you're totally right. And she went on to say that if the church doesn't get this, the gospel is gonna be hindered. That the church needs to understand this because the world around us needs to see Jesus and needs to meet Jesus. And the only way that that's gonna happen is that the church acts the way that God has ordained it to act. And this is it. It's that we're all the family of God. We're in the game. We're in ministry together. We're using the gifts and experiences that God has given us for the glory of God and the good of our city. And she told me this, and I was just like, I, I literally was sitting there. I dropped everything. I was making dinner. I'm like, you're absolutely right. And this is the message for us, guys. If we want people to see Jesus and meet Jesus and see the gospel like make a dent in our city, we need to be a church that fights for this. That we raise up leaders, we become the type of people that can lead and should lead. We keep preaching Jesus and we keep praying. We raise the sail so that the Holy Spirit can blow and just do his thing through Doxa Church here in Madison. This is the only hope we got. It's not about us being better and being more like attraction. It, this is it, that's it. It's all about Jesus. And so here's what I want to do. I want to leave you with three things that this will be a, an opportunity for you to reflect on this and say, like, am I being the right type of person to lead in this way? And these three questions that you can talk about in your connection group, right, are, are huge. And they're going to come up here on the screen, I think. I want to invite you to write these down. But the first question is this, guys. I want you to ask, like, is growth a mark of your life as you walk with Jesus? I mean, the example here in Acts chapter 6 that we get is a church with people who, who lead and who are working hard to push the gospel forward, but as they're doing that, they're growing with Jesus at the same time. Like you can't give what you don't have. Like you need to be these types of people. And, and so we need to ask that question and just be humble enough to say, is, is growth a, a, a mark of my life as I walk with Jesus? Number two, is prayer and scripture a, a priority for you? Because these are keys to being the people in the church that God has created us to be. Being all about Jesus, living our lives on our knees. I mean, this is one of the things like, I, you know, like I, as I felt like God is trying to teach me to pray, one of the things that I've started to do, which is really hard for me, I've had 13 knee surgeries, is literally when we pray, I get on my knees. And it reminds me of like, you are not king, Rob. You don't have what it takes. Jesus is the only one that's going to make this all happen. And I get on my knees and I pray and I just ask him. And then number three, what do you do with your failure? Because do you fall down or do you fall forward? Because I want you to know this, guys. Every failure in your personal life and in the life of the church is a Holy Spirit opportunity to grow and make much of Jesus. What are you doing with your failure? These are the things. Because if we want to be a church 
that exists for the glory of God and the good of Madison? These are the types of questions that we need to be answering. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to give you a minute just to think about these questions. All right? Let's pray with me. God, thanks for the Bible. Thanks for this church. God, I'm, I'm thankful that as I stand up here and we get to encounter this example of the early church failing and having people step up that are just godly and gifted and start doing ministry work, I'm so thankful that I can look around Doxa and say, oh my gosh, like we have those people. So God, thanks for forgiving us just like godly people to help lead the way. And Lord, as we, as we just try and exist as a church that's just constantly on our knees, just begging you to do something great in our city, would you just help us to be full of faith? Would you help us to just be like little kids that are just totally dependent on their dad to help them? Would you grow us more and more into the likeness of Christ? And as that happens, God, just ask that you just give us the great joy of seeing you move and work in a great way. I pray this in Jesus' name.